Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 512. For me, the Cannonball Challenge and other entrepreneurial challenges have all been about seeing where I'm at in life and what it takes to really make me tick. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. I'll never worry again about having a dead battery with my NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in my glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that'll jump start a dead battery in my car, boat, truck, or RV. The Genius Boost features built-in spark-proof technology and reverse polarity protection to safely jump start any of my vehicles. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are built from solid copper for maximum conductivity. There's a built-in ultrabite dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS and emergency strobe. I use my Genius Boost Jump Starter to charge my phone, tablet, and laptop while I'm on the road or if the power goes out in my home. The unit itself is easily rechargeable in my vehicle. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Ed Bullion. Ed, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Every single day. All right. Love that answer. Ed Bullion is working on a technology startup business titled VinWiki that's aimed at changing the way we look at the history of our automobiles. Back in 2013, Ed and a couple of friends took a little drive from New York to Los Angeles, and they set a new world record, completing their journey in 28 hours and 50 minutes. Oh, my gosh. They drove a Mercedes-Benz CL55 AMG, and that trip they averaged 98 miles an hour. Ed's been in the automobile business for years, having sold his exotic car rental company, and he was a sales director at a Lamborghini McLaren, Aston Martin, and Lotus dealer in Atlanta, Georgia. So, Ed, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career and, of course, your passion for automobiles and taking long drives? <laughs> I'd be happy to, Mark, and thank you for having me. I've been a car guy as long as I can remember and always been obsessed not only with what the cars are, but really how we use them. Prepared cars and driven cars in a lot of interesting ways, bought and sold, every kind of car you could imagine. I love being around car culture and uh, meeting like-minded people who maybe are uh, almost as crazy as I am. <laughs> well, I think you're having some fun, that's for sure. And I'm excited to learn a little bit about this new venture and this this drive that you took across the country. Oh, my gosh. I was happy to be introduced to you by Carl Reese, who's been a previous guest here, who took a couple drives across the country on cars and motorcycles. We're going to learn a lot more about you as we continue on your journey. But first, I always like to start with a success quote or some kind of a success mantra that you may have. It's a really nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Ed, take the wheel. You know, my whole life has been about dreaming in context, finding the things that I'm good at, finding the skill sets that I've got, and then finding the goals that those have prepared me to meet. 
And for me, the Cannonball Challenge and other entrepreneurial challenges have all been about seeing where I'm at in life and what it takes to really make me tick and then going and striving as hard as I can to to achieve those things. And so that's really been the framework of my personal growth the Mm -hmm. last few years and um, really the last couple of decades. You know, it's really just dream big and and don't let anything stand in the way. Absolutely. Dream big. That's the uh, mantra of every entrepreneur. And I've had some 511 past guests here on Cars Yeah that are all really big dreamers. So very cool. I love it. Let's go back in time a little bit and talk about a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you look back when you realize, oh my gosh, I'm a car guy? You know, I remember being a kid and uh, was riding in a car with my parents and a uh, gorgeous red Ferrari 360 just screamed right past me on the highway. And uh, I remember all the emotions welling up and seeing that. You know, there's something about the cars that come out when, you know, you're 14, 15 years old that nothing can ever be cooler then. And so I'm 30 now and there are things that, you know, a brand new 675 or a Ventador SV just can never top emotionally as great as they are from an engineering and a technological perspective. I just love these cars that were really there when I was so impressionable. You're a bit younger than me, but when I was a kid on my wall was that poster from, I think it was a road and track of a black Lamborghini Countach and the smoke rising around the thing. Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. Just looking at that thing laying in bed going, man, what that must be like. So uh, I understand. Yeah, it's uh, it's always that one car that triggers it. It's the neighbor or something your dad or grandpa has or uncle or friend or somebody like that. Yeah, I can only imagine in the back seat seeing a 360 go buzzing by. What is that? Catch up with that, dad. And you had a business where you sold or you rented rather exotic cars, right? So you got involved with having some of these wild and and cool cars. I did. So when I was growing up, this was a business model that really hadn't been explored much. There were occasional offerings from companies in LA or Miami, but you really didn't go out and rent an exotic car. And at the time, you know, the a lot of the cars weren't even reliable enough to try to impose that kind of use on. But I had explored the business plan through high school and just seen the opportunity in the Atlanta market and just really set out to try to find a way to do it. And so the summer after my sophomore year in college at Georgia Tech, I was 20 years old, and I finally found a bank crazy enough to loan me money to buy a Lamborghini. <laughs> nice. And uh, I you know, put all the money I had as a down payment and uh, seriously didn't have enough money to make the first payment on it. And so I started Supercar Rentals, uh, an exotic car rental company here in Atlanta, and started with just one car. It was a pearl yellow Gallardo Uh and uh, grew it to uh, five or six more cars. And, you know, it was a great college business. It was a great real business. I learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, uh, overcame most of them and ended up really with something that, uh, that I was proud of, that I, that I gained a lot from, you know, not just monetarily, but just in the experience of it all. Oh, yeah. You know, again, for you listeners out there, you entrepreneurs, you know, here's a 20-year-old that had an idea that he wanted to have a cool car, and look at how he did it. I mean, what you did, Ed, there was really cool, and at your age, even more incredible. And, of course, nowadays, you can rent from Hertz, Porsche, or, you know, nice Mercedes, and there's even companies all around now that rent exotic cars. But you're right back then, 
The only thing that ever happened before that was maybe the Rent-A-Hertz that they did mm -hmm. way back in the 60s and then brought back again about 10 or 11 years ago. And I understand Hertz is going to do it again with the new Mustang. But uh, kudos to you for taking a gamble. And man, I don't know who that banker was, but you need to give <laughs> give me his name. <laughs> well, this was 2006. So it was sort of the economic climate that precipitated yes. everything that happened in 08 and 09. So I actually paid my bills, but uh, there, there were plenty who did not. But uh, since then, I've done some consulting work and helped a lot of other people with the same goal of starting exotic car rental companies in their respective cities to kind of get them off the ground and build really the business framework. They're all car guys. They love cars and they want to see their own warehouse filled with them. They need the help. And so it's uh, that's been a fun process since then. Very nice. Well done. So, Ed, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and have you talk about a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced along the way. Being an entrepreneur, it's, gosh, that kind of lifestyle, that kind of business mode is fraught with ups and downs. But when you're sharing this, I'd love for you to talk even more about what it taught you, how you got through it, and how you move forward. Sure. Well, my life has been about bouncing from challenge to challenge, whether it was finding funding for an early stage startup or the cannonball record. And that was in itself, although not profit-seeking, profit it was a very entrepreneurial idea. And this was something that as a kid, I was sitting in my high school chemistry class reading road and track magazines and car and driver and uh, just dreaming about not how fast a car could go from zero to 60, but how could we make a car take me on a road trip the fastest. You know, I didn't care about necessarily uh, a track split or a Nürburgring time. I wanted to know if I was going to drive from here to Miami or across the country, what car was really best. And I came home one day and I was talking to my father about that. And he said, oh yeah, Cannonball, they've been doing that for 40 years. And, uh, you know, my mind was just blown. <laughs> and I saw this crazy idea that aligned with so many of my interests. And I just spent months researching it, watching the videos, reading all the old magazine articles, and just learning everything that I could about what that had sort of become over the decades. And obviously, I found that it hadn't been done since uh, 79 for Cannonball, 83 for the U.S. Express. And I learned what they had done and just started dreaming about what that would look like in a modern context. And as a high school senior, I was, eight, I was 18 years old, I... Um, talked to Brock Yates on the phone. I was doing an automotive journalism research project for a paper, and I called the uh, receptionist at Car and Driver, and she actually gave me his home phone number. So I rang him up. <laughs> Very and, uh, cool. And I talked to Brock Yates as an overconfident and completely delirious 18-year-old high school student, and um, I told him that one day I, I wanted to go out and make the drive and break all of his records. And they uh, and he said, you know, well, good luck, kid. He had just <laughs> written his book. It had come out in 01. This was in 04. Yeah. And he, he had pretty much just said, we don't think this is possible anymore. There's twice as many cars on the road. There, the traffic regulations are a lot more stringent. It just doesn't seem like it can be done any faster than we had done. And so the, the time that he kind of viewed as the record was 3251. That was the Heinz and Yarborough time from 79 in the Jaguar XJS. And um, so I kind of set out on that path. And, you know, the arc of literally it taking me nine years to to finally get to the Red Ball Garage in Manhattan in a car that was sufficiently prepped. I mean, I had bought two cars previously and somebody 
ran into one and totaled it. Somebody, uh, and then life got in the way and I had to sell another one because of, you know, the, the challenges of trying to, uh, start a new marriage and do other things that tend to stand in the way of car guy hobbies. <laughs> sure. Um, but just, there was an endless stream of obstacles that said the goal is too big or it's not something that you can actually achieve. And if I had listened to all of them or even just one, I never would have gotten to the Portofino Inn and looked out over the Redondo Beach Pier. But at this point, you know, I was still just dreaming and I just saw it out there and I never let myself stop. In our pre-show chat, uh, listeners, I uh, was telling Ed that I was just on the phone yesterday with Brock Yates Jr. He's going to be a future guest here on Cars, yeah. So funny and fortuitous how these names come up. But I think it's great, 18-year-old kid calling Brock Yates and saying, hey, I'm going to beat your record, dude. And I'm sure he was like, don't get cocky, kid. But uh, here we sit today. I think he'd be very proud of you for sure. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment. It's a time when those headlights come on and kind of illuminate your way for this new thought or this direction you have that you headed down. And tell us the steps you took to turn your aha moment into your success. Sure. Well, you have to listen to the people around you. And as the economy was getting really bad in 2009 and 10, my... Family, my wife, my friends were all sort of recognizing the reality of supercar rentals. And the rental business worked remarkably well as the economy was declining because depreciation in luxury assets was just rampant. And people were using the rental product as an ownership alternative. So the quality of my customer base were the smartest of exotic car enthusiasts because mm. I was offering them a much better you know, cost per mile than they could get elsewhere. But as the market bottomed out, they realized that they could just buy the cars that, had, that were 60% of what they were a year ago, and they could just own them for just about nothing, like most people that bought anything in 2010. So everyone around me was just telling me that the quality of your customer base is eroding. It's becoming clearly more stressful, and you need to, to look elsewhere. And it was a good time for me to exit. I had a company from Florida that was looking to expand into the Atlanta market, and it uh, it kind of gave me a way out, and it worked out well for everyone. But I had been pursued by the local Ferrari dealership and the local Lamborghini dealership because obviously I'd kind of attained a product knowledge from a perspective that not many people had. Just dealing with what these cars do literally every single day prepared me for just about anything that a prospective buyer could throw at me. And so it wasn't a career that I had ever really aspired to, to be a prolific exotic car salesman. But in fact, when I was a kid, you know, 16, 17 years old, I used to go around and con the local dealers into letting me drive stuff because I thought that would be a lot of fun. So I'd learned a lot about how salesmen behave in that point. And it, it just never seemed as appetizing. But, you know, at, at one point I, uh, I just said, sure, let's give it a shot and, and really found something that, that I could enjoy. I was good at sales. I was able to introduce a logic to someone who was looking for a rationale to do something that they love because that's what selling exotic cars is it's they come in wanting it they think that they're more expensive or more difficult to own or less achievable but in the re in reality they just want you to help them figure out how to make their dreams come true right and so 
based on the way that I had dreamed and the cars that I had aspired to own in the past and the ones that I had for the rental company, I was able to overcome most of those objections quite naturally and usually with a personal testimony. And so the aha moment just kind of came as I hit a stride there and I was selling more Lamborghinis than really any other salesperson in the world at that point and and just really loving the product, loving the experience and loving what I was growing into. Yeah, you know, it's a really great story and what comes to mind is I had a guest on long ago, a friend of mine, Russell Flurry, who goes around the country and teaches primarily high-end automotive salespeople how to sell the cars, how to sell the dream. And he puts on these seminars and he helps Lamborghini, Ferrari, Porsche, Mercedes, I mean, all the big, big names out there. And he told me the same thing. It's really about how you interact with that customer. It's a different kind of customer and you're selling their ability to make their dreams come true. And he told me a story of one salesman that called and said, I've got a real problem. This customer keeps coming in. He can't decide between these two Ferrari models, and he just won't make a decision. And Russell said, well, tell him to buy both. <laughs> and he went, huh? He goes, yeah, just he can obviously afford it. Tell him to buy both. And that's what he did, and the guy bought both. So There you go. Yeah, it's a different mindset. You know, when you close your mind to a customer is only going to buy one car, well, maybe, maybe not. He's a Ferrari buyer. He can buy two. Let's talk a little bit about Prouder's career moments. I would assume you've had many, although you're a young man. You still have a whole lot of life ahead of you. But is there one in particular that stands out for you? It's hard to argue with pulling into the Portofino Inn two hours and 14 minutes faster than anyone ever had. Yeah, um, no kidding. But, you know, there were cars that I've sold, cars that I've bought, just moments where you find yourself in a situation where it's just out of body. And I, I remember being 17 years old and, and seeing an orange Lamborghini Murcielago for the first time. And I just fell in love with what the car was, what it stood for, what it was technologically. And I told, uh, I, you know, told a friend of mine that, you know, one day that's, that's going to be it. And in 2012, actually the same week that I bought the CL that we used to break the cross-country record on Craigslist, I bought a 2008 Arancio Atlas Pearl Orange LP640 Murcielago Roadster. And uh, it was just the dream car. And, you know, I'd kind of worked my way up financing and built my credit up to make it work. And I'd gotten a great loan on it. Everything made all the sense in the world. The, you know, sales at the dealership were going well. And it was just one of those things that you, you strive for for years and years. And just seeing it come off the truck was was fantastic. And it wasn't just the material aspect of it. It was the achievement aspect of it. It was mm. like, this is a dream that's, you know, a very old, you know, a decade old at that point that right. I uh, had always wanted to attain. And, and finally getting to that point was, was pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, and you may have answered my next question, which is, uh, what was your first really special car? Is that the one? Well, not necessarily. I um, <laughs> the the first really special car that I had. I I had a lot of scholarships going to college and Georgia Tech at that point with in-state tuition and the in-state scholarships that you could get was pretty much free, and so I had some money left over and uh, bought a, a 2000 Audi S4. It was the B5 version, twin turbo, yeah. and I actually used that to drive across the country the first time. We were filmed by MTV True Life 
as this kind of coming of age documentary about driving across the country. It was me and kind of three other or two other teams. And so that was kind of the first, you know, interesting enthusiast car. Prior to that, it was an old Land Rover Discovery with 150,000 miles that I used to get stuck everywhere. In. Yeah, it's a little different. <laughs> it is. It is. And then sold the Audi to buy the uh, the Gallardo. And then I got a couple 360s and a Ferrari 612. And my first kind of personal non-rental exotic car was a blue Lamborghini Gallardo that I bought from a local prostitute that couldn't afford her service <laughs> bill. Oh, God. Got that one fixed up and thoroughly disinfected and uh, drove it. You know, it turned into a pretty decent car. It was uh, it was actually my only car for a while, so I drove it every single day. And um, it was brilliant. And so after that, I got the Orange Mercy, and then I got a, a red one, and now I have a green one. And um, Oh, my gosh. You go through, a car the, you go the through cars day. like underwear, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think I've had 24 in the last 10 years. Oh, my goodness. You know, playing Gran Turismo and a lot of these and seeing a lot of the news articles early on and also thinking about a car that would get you across a highway as fast as humanly possible, I fell in love with Roof, a German manufacturer that kind of buys parts from Porsche and then puts them in their own, puts them together in their own way. Yep. And they're phenomenally rare in the U.S. because new, they're 300 to 600 grand, just depending on what you ask them to do. But years ago, I came across one down in Florida. It was parked at a Lamborghini dealership. And I asked the GM, I said, is that a roof RT12? And he said, uh, yeah, I think so. The guy left it here. He's going to trade it in. And for a lot of reasons, it got tied up in a lawsuit for the next three years. And, mm. um, I kept telling them, you know, if you trade it, I really want the car. You know, they're so hard to find. And, and they didn't really know what it was. They thought it was just a modified 911. But, in fact, it was a 685-horsepower yes. rear-wheel drive, taller gear, built-in roll cage. Oh, yeah. You know, one of two in the U.S. And that guy got transferred to a different uh, dealership. And I, I thought I'd lost the car. But on Christmas Eve, uh, you know, this last year, it popped up on Craigslist in New York. And I called the guy, and I, I knew more about the car than he did because he was sort of a broker representing it. And I told him, I want it. We worked it out, and uh, I flew down to Miami where it was, and I picked it up and drove it home. And it was uh, just one of those that you know I'd been chasing for three years. And I thought I'd lost it. And finally, things came together. And it was about you know two months after I'd left the dealership, so I was rather unemployed and it was a terrible, terrible time to buy an exotic car. If you want to know how bad, you can ask my wife. But I made it work, and I've got it. It's uh, It's been pretty sweet. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Aloy Roof has been a guest on Cars Yeah Here, and I met him years ago back in uh, 2006. I visited his facility in Germany, and I was back again about four years later, and he was kind enough to uh, let me take a drive in uh, one of his yellow birds. Uh, oh, yes. Back in the day, but uh, yeah, magnificent guy, incredible history. He and his father and that company and the cars he builds. So uh, I'm a little jealous that you have one of those. Very cool. Let's talk oh. a little bit about seller's remorse. Is there a car that you've let go? And you've let a lot of cars go, but is <laughs> is there one in particular? And let's not talk about money. Let's talk about emotional tie because the market now is kind of in an escalated point. It's maybe in a bubble. Who knows? But is there one you let go that you wish you had back in your garage? You know, not really. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not surprised to hear you say that. I think you kind of move into the next one and move into the next one and move into the next one and keep having fun, right? Generally, yeah. You know, I had a gated manual 360 Spider 
that was just a fantastic car to drive. It it broke in every ridiculous way one can, but in spite of itself, it was just so much fun. And it had a tubey exhaust that had been on the car for 30,000 miles, and the cats had pretty much just disintegrated, so it screamed like a straight-pipe car. It would, you know, just shake the whole building when you started it up. And I have missed that one a lot. I went on missing it until I pulled the Carfax on it again after I had sold it. And I saw the laundry list of things that the sell- that the person I had sold it to had done about six months later. Ooh. And I said, you know, maybe I don't miss it that bad. No, no, good riddance, like an old girlfriend. It was nice when, when we were together, but <laughs> not to happen again. Now let's talk about current uh, projects, rather. I'd love to have you tell us as much as you can. I know you're still in the working process here, but this new business venture you have is very interesting to me. Then Wiki, how much can you share with us and maybe an idea of when it's going to go live so that people can check it out? For sure. You know, as I've owned a bunch of cars, you know, we're very good from a sales perspective, dealership perspective, and a, and a personal perspective of understanding that narrow window that we have with a car. Mm-hmm. And resources like Carfax and AutoCheck and things like that are useful to see a little bit of what happened in its past. But generally, you know, it's hard to find previous service records. It's hard to find previous owners. It's hard to really understand where a car has been, much less know where it ends up after the fact. Mm-hmm. So years ago, I put a page on my personal website with the VIN numbers of all my cars. Mm. And the reason I did that is that over the years, the search engine optimization improves. And when people buy them in the future, they Google their VIN number and they find me. And I've gotten emails and I found out that my first Gallardo, the one that was for the rental company, got uh, sold a couple times after I had it. But then eventually it got exported through Long Beach into Hong Kong. So the car is out of the country. One of my Land Rovers got exported to Russia. Another one got sold through an auction in Miami and is now in Puerto Rico and leaks just as much oil there as it did here. <laughs> one of my Ferraris got crashed. The The first car I bought to do Cannonball in that someone ran into me and totaled, it got rebuilt through Miami. It's in Colorado now. Wow. Um, I followed that S4 around and it's got way more modifications and it's a track monster up in the Northwest. And so just seeing what's happened to my cars over the years has been almost as fascinating as the, the way I used them. Yeah, interesting forensics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, there's times where you want to maybe be a little bit less proud of the history if, you know, it's a Blue Gallardo that a prostitute owned. But <laughs> at the same time, it's all compelling and it's all interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I bought a Ferrari once that um, a rapper had owned and he just kind of left it at his parents' house for months and months and they tried to drive it one day, but they jumped it backwards and fried all the electrics and I had to put it all back together. And, you know, finding those things and those stories it, to me is awesome. And so what I'm building through VinWiki is a, an application that allows you to document your story of your car. And it's not just the service history and the emissions checks and the inspections and the, the transactional history. It's more the shows you do, the drives you do, the pictures, the anecdotal stuff. And so we're building a platform that invites users to, to build that and to build that out. And so I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, we're 
doing some alpha testing on it right now, and it uh, probably is a few months away from being accessible, but uh, I'll send you a link when it is, and uh, I'd love for your users, users to tell me and your listeners to tell me what they think of it. Absolutely. Can't wait for that to come to fruition. Very cool. Yeah, again, like I said, the forensic aspect, um, we all kind of wonder what happened to our cars, and of course, cars we buy that are used cars, we go, hmm, what's really happened before <laughs> this vehicle, of course? And with Carfax and those, you get some of that kind of stuff, but not the whole story most of the time. So very, very interesting. Love it. Wish you the best success with that. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Ed. If you were a car, what kind of car would Ed be and why? <laughs> that's a that's a very interesting question. <laughs> you know, I had always chased these Murcielagos. I love them. They're kind of absolutely the most worthless, useless cars that have ever been created. <laughs> but in their context, they make all the sense in the world. Mm -hmm. They're outrageous. The doors open the wrong way. They're purpose-built. And when they find what they're good at, there's nothing like them. I, I went a step further. And about a year and a half ago, I started researching because I had always heard that the manual transmission cars were rare. But no one knew how rare they were. And there was some speculation that down the road they might become pretty valuable. And so, you know, the, a, a manual transmission Ferrari 599 sold at Amelia Island in um, 2014 for almost 700,000 bucks when people thought the car was worth 250 grand. And that was because they had figured out that Ferrari only brought 19 manual transmission 599s into the U.S. And that piece of information, you know, revealing that in, in actuality, manual 599s are rarer than 250 GTOs in the U.S. And that knowledge, you know, catapulted the value. And it wasn't only because of that, but it was because, you know, these sequential manual transmissions as they age becomes a little bit of an Achilles heel, both in terms of reliability and driver experience for some of these exotic cars. And so I kind of set out, I knew I'd sold five or six of them. And so I, I didn't know how many there were, but I started making a list. And I asked the factory and they, they honestly didn't even know. They, they didn't really keep records of how many they sold with manual gearboxes. So now isn't that crazy to think about? It, I mean, what? Well, you know, people have asked me a lot about why this, you know, you, you called it a bubble. That may not be entirely incorrect, uh, but why we've seen so much crazy appreciation in certain cars over the last, you know, couple of years. And the reality is that the logic of a new car buyer is different than the logic of a long-term collector. Yes. And the guy that's going to go in and go buy a new Lamborghini every single year is probably going to want the latest, greatest technology. And for the last few years, that's been improvements in transmission technology. And so the manual cars just didn't make sense to these guys that, they, that we wanted to sell cars to every single year or 18 months or you know three months sometimes. And so they've just started to disappear. And so I went out doing research and kind of finding out, and I found out there were 26 in the country. And uh, I knew I wanted one, and I, I was looking around, and I was finally able to buy a green one. And it's, in fact, the only green coupe that's a manual in the U.S. And to me, that car is the one that, despite the crazy offers, I just cannot bring myself to sell. I just, I see it, I love it, and it, it's just, 
you know, maybe it's it's not me as a car, but it's as much of a car as can be, I think. There you go. I love it. Well, Ed, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Hey, Cars Yeah listeners, I have a question. What's the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior? It's with a car cover. I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. It's the fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft is the world's largest manufacturer of custom-patterned vehicle covers, and they are crafted to fit like a custom suit, with over 80,000 patterns available. And they're made in the USA. But Covercraft is much more than car covers. Their vehicle protection system protects your cars, motorcycles, watercrafts, and RVs, exteriors from the elements, and the interiors from the wear and tear of daily life. Car covers, front end masks, dash covers, seat covers, floor mats, and much, much more. Covercraft offers you a full array of custom accessories made specifically for and styled to complement and protect your special vehicle. Covercraft is the right choice. I use them on all my vehicles, and your special vehicles will love them too. Learn more today at Covercraft.com. And you can get free shipping when you use the code at checkout, CARSYEAH. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Ed, we are back and we're entering the last lap. And this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So you ready? Sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Just buy what you love. (laughs) Yes, always a good one. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Just never listen when they tell you no. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Persistence and tenacity is great when you're an entrepreneur. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners that you really enjoy? I mean, I put most of what I've learned over the years on my own blog, which is just at edbolian.com. I've got buyer's guides and, you know, nice. exotic car buying tips and things like that. So I could never find those things when I was out looking. So what yeah. I've learned over the years, it's it's all there and, uh, you know, free for the taking. Awesome. We'll make sure that is on your show notes page at carsyad.com. Now, how about a book? Is there a book you've read recently you think the Cars Yad listeners should crack open and read as well? You know, I, I'm a big fan of Brock Yates' book, Cannonball. It's the history of the world's greatest outlaw road race. Um, car and Drivers promoted it a lot lately. Uh, my book on our New York to L.A. drive will hopefully be done in the next few months. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, its working title is, for the record, my coming-of-age story of uh, chasing the Cannonball record for a decade. But uh, <laughs> nice. I hope you all will enjoy it at some point. Yeah, let me know when that book is out, and I'll make sure that we put that on your show notes page, and I'll promote it to the... Cars yeah listeners out there on uh, Twitter and Cars yeah Facebook and my own personal Facebook page as well. Very cool. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyeah.com on Ed's 
own show notes page. Just type Ed Bolian, B-O-L-I-A-N, into the search bar, and that page will pop right up. All right, we are up to the checkered flag, Ed, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the price, I'll buy you whatever car you'd like. And I say collector car, not a daily driver, not one of these new things, but something that you got to hang on to, but, you know, you get out there and have some fun with, maybe take a little drive across the country. What would that vehicle be, and more importantly, why? Well, I don't know that I could ever part with the CL. Mm. You know, it just, for everything that we prepared to to use it for, you know, it was a hundred and Thirty grand car new that I bought for seventeen thousand dollars on Craigslist, and you know we put huge fuel tanks and two radar detectors and laser jammers and police scanners and an ambulance traffic light changer and a bunch of navigational systems and all the different wiring and all the different things that we needed to drive it across the country. And I uh, I still drive it a lot, although it it uh, got a massive suspension fluid leak this week, so it's going to go into the trophy case for a little while, but. Mm. You know, it's it's not a McLaren F1 LM as much as I love them, but uh, I I think you know to me it's just as as cool as a car could be. Well, it's pretty cool that you have the car that you want to keep. I think that's great. That's a CL55 AMG, right? It is. Yes. Yeah, well, it's been a nice car to drive across the country in, but uh, all those modifications and all the things I've seen pictures on your site of the dashboard and <laughs> what goes into this. It's not just a drive, folks, man. There's a lot of planning here, but uh, very cool. I love the way you answered that. Ed, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I knew you would, being a guy who's uh, very good at driving long distances, even though our trip here today has been rather short. But I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off across country and that Mercedes CL55. You know, it's really just stop and smell the roses. I mean, we get us so caught up in the the speed of daily life, and you know the the hedonism of life here is is tough. But I just I thank God every day for the opportunities that He's given me, and uh, the family, and everything that He lets me enjoy these cars around. And you know, uh, in November we actually did another New York to LA drive, as ridiculous and as that sounds, but we, we did it not in the same way. You know, I did it with a group, uh, called the 2904 and the whole kind of idea of it is that you do the drive with a budget of three grand. And I bought a 12 owner, two accidents, salvage title, three colors of white S 55 off Craigslist. And, uh, Las Vegas, this woman had let her daughter drive it to Los Angeles to become a movie star, and it broke down, and she didn't become famous, but I got it for 1500 bucks. Oh, my gosh. And we, we put the thing back together, and uh, we actually drove it from New York to L.A. on November 1st and 2nd in, in 32 hours and five minutes. Wow. Which, uh, since this was actually in a competitive event rather than a one-off time trial like the, uh, like the 2013 run, Technically, it's the record for the fastest time in a competitive New York to L.A. race. Cool. Um, so we beat 32.07, which was the winning time of the 83 U.S. Express. And just being able to do it at a much slower pace in a much more garbage car, almost like a Top Gear challenge, was just a – it was a different perspective, but maybe even more enjoyable. In a lot of ways, we we built on what we had experienced. We we continued along the path of learning about it, and learning about ourselves, and um, 
we just we had a ton of fun doing that. <laughs> I think so. Well, there's a there's a challenge for you, Cars Out listeners. Uh, sounds like a, a very fun way to uh, travel across the country. Excellent. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? Sure. We'll just stay tuned to edbolian.com. I try to keep it as updated as I can with what's going on with me. That'll be the first place to hear about what we're doing with VinWiki. But, um, you know, shoot me an email. Find me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. It's all Ed Bolian. Easy enough to find. But uh, I just I love connecting with other car guys and guys like you, Mark. I just appreciate all you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. It's been great to talk with you today. And I'm really uh, honored to bring you to the Cars Yeah listeners and let them know a little better about what Ed is up to. And Again, listeners, you can find everything Ed has been so kind to share today on his show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Ed in the search bar and that page will pop up. Hey, Ed, thanks again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the Cars Yad listeners and with me. It's been great fun taking this journey with you. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. I'll look forward to it, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.